and Scott, we were thinking maybe we'd go back so we can see each other's presentations like we do. Sure, sure. I lost. No, we actually we can see from here. It's okay. I thought I yeah, could. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. I mean, it seemed like when we were in New York, we couldn't have seen, is it right? Because it was, is it the down, down arrow that moves <coughs> um, You can move the, uh, uh, the side arrows. So to the right advances it, to the left should um, okay. go backwards. Okay, okay. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sherry Cook. I'm Senior Program Manager for AASLH, and I want to welcome you to today's session, Meaningful Change Within Local History Organizations, Assessment Makes All the Difference. To get started, I want to introduce my colleagues who will be speaking with me today. Uh, first of all, we have Sarah Curitan, and Sarah is Director of the New Jersey Historical Commission. Before joining the commission in 2004, Sarah was uh, director of the Epsican Lighthouse Historic Site in Atlantic City and also president of the South Jersey Cultural Alliance. We also have at the end of the table Scott Wands. Scott is manager of grants and programs for Connecticut Humanities, and Scott has eight years of senior program experience. Uh, including leading a steps group of 35, I'm sorry, of 3.5 years, 35 years, oh my gosh. <laughs> I started very young. <laughs> uh, he also coaches the 500 plus local history organizations in Connecticut, so he has a big job. Also, uh, David Grabitsky, David, you want to wave to the group? He's up there. David also works with many, many local history organizations as the manager of outreach services at the Minnesota Historical Society. And David has 25 years um, experience at all levels of local history organizations, uh, with the last 15 being in field services and coaching 500-plus local history organizations. So a wealth of experience on the panel today. Uh, thank you for speaking, and we'll get started talking about um, how assessment programs can be used in a variety of ways. So maybe this to-do list looks familiar to some of you. Um, whoops. I leaned on it too hard. Looks familiar, and um, I know those of us who have either worked at a small museum or currently work at a small museum, we really love it, don't we? And I say that sarcastically when someone says, work smarter, not harder, right? <laughs> no, we don't like that. Um, because we work hard, people at small organizations work hard um, and try to work smarter. Uh, we all have apps we like on our smartphones and tablets. Apps make our lives easier but it doesn't always reduce the amount of work. Um, just makes life a little easier. And we kind of think, I like to think of steps as kind of like a, an app that makes your life easier. But lack of funding, lack of paid and unpaid staff, and of course the biggie, lack of time, can keep local history organizations in a rut for a long time. And so assessment programs like the STEPS program uh, provide structure for helping organizations prioritize and track their efforts um, to improve collections care, programming, institutional governance, uh, long-range planning, 
and lots of other areas of operations. But assessment programs, and what we're going to be talking about today, assessment programs can also help statewide organizations and agencies to provide a structure and resources for how they can help local community organizations improve themselves. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have three people, speakers, uh, representing statewide organizations and how they're using assessment programs like STEPS to help all of the local history organizations in their state. How many of you are really familiar with STEPS? Okay, several of you are. So for those of you, it's going to be a little bit of a review. I'm going to talk just briefly about what the STEPS program is so that everyone knows what we're talking about, and then we'll dive into uh, what these folks are doing. So STEPS is a self-paced assessment program that's open to any museum, historical society, historic site, or other organization. Uh, it's an entry-level program, and it is intended for small to mid-sized organizations, especially those that do not feel ready for other assessment programs. Larger organizations will find the program helpful also. They can use it in a variety of ways to train entry-level staff, volunteers, and also as a refresher. So the STEPS program, and it stands for Standards and Excellence Program for History Organizations, it was created uh, or created in 2009 through funding from IMLS and by a host of enthusiastic, enthusiastic volunteers um, from across the country. Anyone in the audience help on the project? Sarah Sutton did. Uh, I think we had 135 people from 35 states take part in the four-and-a-half-year process to develop the program. So... So how can it help a local history organization? Well, in a nutshell, what it does, um, by connecting your organization's planning, decision-making, fundraising, and other things to national standards, your organization can gain credibility and begin to really lay out a plan uh, for how it's going to do things. Again, it provides that structure so that um, you can focus on long-range goals, and be able to track and articulate your progress. So you build credibility within your community by saying, well, the reason why we're doing this or why we're doing that is because we're in the STEPS program and we're, we're working on uh, our operations, our policies, our practices, and we're trying to um, reach the gold level in the STEPS program. It's a great program for flexibility. There's different ways you can use the program, and I'll show you a, a, a slide of the, the workbook in just a moment, but really for, for um, however an organization wants to use it, it's very flexible. You can use it in an informal way, you can have lots of meetings with board members and committee members, but it's very, very flexible. Some organizations like to use it as a stepping stone toward uh, working on maybe the MAP program, which is the Museum Assessment Program from AAM. We've had a few organizations that have used it to work their way towards accreditation through AAM. So again, there's many organizations have different reasons for enrolling in the program. 
but it's, it's very flexible in how they want to use it. So at the, at the core of the program is the workbook. And there are six sections to the program. You can see them up there. You can address the sections in any order that you want. Uh, you don't have to address all the sections if you don't want to. If you don't have historic structures and landscapes, then you don't need to do that section. We had one organization in Minnesota that didn't have collections, so they got to skip the largest section in the workbook. So again, it's flexible to meet your needs. So here's a sample of the workbook, and you can see on the far left um, is the standard, the national standard, and then we move over to the self-assessment question, and then on the right are the performance indicators, and you can see there's three levels to it, basic, good, and better. And so an organization goes through the workbook and uh, uses the checkboxes to check off those things that they are already doing or that they're aware that they need to do, uh, depending on how the questions ask. And then they make their way through and use the right-hand side of the spiral-bound book to record things that they may want to work on. So, for example, if they don't have the good performance indicator, if they haven't met that yet, they might want to um, do whatever it's saying that the mission statement should be posted in the office or printed in the newsletter, things like that, so they could write on the other side of the spiral-bound notebook some projects that they could do in order to meet that performance indicator. Here's another um, example from the collections section. And what's nice about the program is that you can take the workbook by section by section, or if you want to, your organization can decide that it wants to address all of the basic indicators across all six sections, and then move on to all of the good indicators across all six sections. So um, that way you're, you're kind of raising the bar in all sections up to the basic level, and then to the good, and then to the better. And I like to tell people that STEPS is made up of a lot of different projects. Um, and those projects don't require a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of a large budget or a lot of money to be in the STEPS program and to make improvements. Because a lot of the things that the workbook um, offers as recommendations actually require more communication and consensus building than money. So things like um, a board orientation manual, an ethics code, collections policy, we all know those things, the, the financial cost is really just the paper and maybe the cookies and the punch or whatever when you have your committee meetings. But it's really the time spent by board members, by paid or unpaid staff, to sit down and hammer out that policy. And so that's what a lot of the program is. Now, there certainly are things that are recommended in the, in the workbook that do require money, things like um, acid-free supplies for collections or um, in the stewardship of historic structures section, there might be things in there about building maintenance. But those are things that you can write into long-range planning. And again, the program is its a, a self-study, and it's voluntary. This is not uh, mandatory. So we know that sites often have to defer maintenance, um, but we hope that there are things that you'll put into your long-range planning so that when you get that million-dollar bequest, you'll know right away um, 
what you might spend it on. You'll already have those goals set for how you might use any funding that comes your way. And lastly, just a few things about, um, and I see my bullets aren't showing up very easily, but I promise you they are there. Um, so just a couple of basics about enrollment. The, the fee is a one-time fee of $175. You do have to be an institutional member of AASLH to enroll in the program. So if you're not, then the first year that you're in steps, the, the total cost would be $290, and that would include a one-year uh, one membership. So as you work your way through the workbook, you earn certificates for all of those performance indicators that you meet. And so you, you earn the bronze, silver, and gold certificates. You also get access to the STEPS website that has a lot of resources, uh, including sample policies, job descriptions, um, free webinar recordings, all sorts of stuff. And then you also receive... Um, a nice little window decal for your front door window. You get discounts on workshops, discounts on technical leaflets, and national recognition on our website for the certificates that your organization earns. So thou, that's, in a nutshell, what STEPS is all about. Now I want to transition, and let's talk about how um, some of the organizations, state agencies, are using STEPS within their states to help their local organizations. And I do want to mention we have over 800 organizations nationwide that are currently working in STEPS. So, um, Sarah, are you next? I think I'm next. All righty. New Jersey. So good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Sarah Curitan. I'm from the New Jersey Historical Commission. So we are a state agency uh, located in the state capital in Trenton. I happen to also wear a second hat. I'm also the director of the New Jersey Cultural Trust, another state agency, but I'll save that for another session. <laughs> um, so the Historical Commission, um, we are dedicated to the advancement of public knowledge and preservation of New Jersey history, as you can see here. We're coming up uh, on one of our, our big anniversary next year. We're going to start preparing to uh, celebrate. And uh, we have gone through, the, over the last two years, some very uh, thoughtful, I think, and careful reevaluation of one of our biggest programs, which is our grant program. We offer both general operating support grants and project grants for history organizations and projects in the state. And that caused us to do some really deep reflection over the next uh, last couple of years. So we, we tweaked our mission a little bit there, and you see it represented in the second sentence there, uh, where we say that our work is founded on the fundamental belief that an understanding of our shared heritage is essential to sustaining a cohesive and robust democracy. So a small goal, a small mission, um, and one that I'm sure many of you share. Um, so our funding, just to give you a little bit of a background on uh, who we are and, and where we get our funding, it does come through annual appropriation uh, through the state legislature, the state budget. <clears throat> and uh, the bulk of the money goes, as I said, to general operating support grants. Um, and that's, that's where STEPS is going to play in my presentation an interesting role. 
Um, we also offer some other programs. We have a free archival and artifact assessment um, program, which we're very excited about. So that's assessment in another form. Uh, and, and by the way, what that does is if you have an archival or an artifactual collection that needs, you need an expert to come in. You need an archivist. You can't afford an archivist maybe for your local group. You want an archivist to come in and assess your collection. Well, you, we will send you one. Um, and it's all first come, first serve, so there's no, there's no uh, uh, competition except, you know, maybe don't wait till the end of the fiscal year when we might run out of money. But, uh, and we do that for artifacts as well. So um, that's a great, a great benefit to our um, constituents. So as we were going through this two-year-long reassessment of our grant program, and I, I apologize, there's a lot of words up there, uh, but you, know, you can take or leave them as much as you need. I'm going to talk you through it. Um, over that two-year process of, of uh, evaluating our grant program, we spent a fair amount of time thinking about professional standards and how we wanted our grantees to um, engage with them and how we wanted them to document um, their engagement with professional standards. And everybody in this new room, I'm sure, will identif identify with me when I talk about the fact that history organizations come in all shapes and sizes. Everything from uh, highly professional groups that have full-time professional staff to the smaller, more local organizations, they're all volunteer and, um, you know, have great, great missions and great passion, um, but don't have the resources that the larger groups have. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. And um, when we, we got to the end of the conversation, uh, we came out with, I think, a pretty good statement. I wish it had been a little bit stronger, but you, you know, you have to, it's a collaborative exercise, right? So here's what we, uh, we and our board uh, agreed on, and that is that all applicants should demonstrate a commitment to applying the highest professional standards for preserving and interpreting New Jersey history. And then what you see there we did was we listed then several standards programs. Um, now, in all honesty, we promote steps. When, when you call us in the office and you ask us about it, we're going to direct you to steps. Unless you're, um, you know, an archive perhaps or a library where there are some more specialized um, standards for those fields. But your rank and file historical organization or history museum, we're really going to guide you towards steps. Um, so, I mean, I could tell you more about the interesting conversation we had at the board level about why it doesn't say, hey, just use steps. But... Um, that's okay. We, the the uh, American Alliance for Museums uh, Standards Program is, of course, a wonderful one as well. But when we talk to the local history groups, we do recommend STEPS because it is a program that we found in our experience is much more accessible. It's much more flexible uh, and non-intimidating. So um, it is the one that we, that we recommend. <clears throat> so one of the nice parts of... Um, my job, is to read the, the grant reports. Usually it's nice, right? Occasionally there's a, there's a problem that, that surfaces in a report, but it is really gratifying to get reports back from grantees. So <clears throat> the GOS program, which I mentioned was, is the biggest program we run, um, is, is an area where standards are, are particularly important. And I say that just because 
within the GOS program, we're evaluating the whole organization. What I say to applicants is that you're asking us to invest in, in you, not just in a particular project, not in a, a rehousing project or a new publication. We're asking you to invest in your organization overall. So STEPS becomes a tremendously powerful tool because it helps them to look at the whole organization in all its aspects. So again, we've been doing this for uh, several years and we've begun now to see some of the impacts that our implementation of, of, of requiring standards uh, is having. So here's one particular, and in fact, oh, she's not here. She's here at the conference, their director, um, but she unfortunately isn't with us at the moment. So this is from one of, uh, one of our historic sites in New Jersey, the Stick the Museum. Anybody been there? It's fabulous, you should go. So um, here's a, here was a great comment coming back in a, a report. The organization continues to work toward and review its five-year strategic plan goals. And they keep, they in this case, as, as Sherry was uh, suggesting some groups do, they were using STEPS as a tool to get them ready for AAM accreditation. Um, and look at this, they've completed all of their initial assessments and uh, they've applied to ASLH. I don't know if they've gotten them yet, but they've applied to ASLH for their bronze or silver certificates in every category. So obviously here's a group that has really worked through the whole, the whole booklet and achieved a level of proficiency that then they're gonna use to springboard on um, to AAM accreditation. Now this next example I wanna share with you is a three-part example. So you can really kind of see the trajectory. And this is, a, um, a sm well, it's a smaller group, I think, in terms probably of budget size, Whitesbog, although geographically it's a much bigger site that they have to deal with. Stickley Farms is, is not quite as big, I don't think, in terms of acreage. But they do have, um, I think, perhaps a bit more um, strength in terms of resources than Whitesbog. So Whitesbog, therefore, it's a small group. Um, uh, Whitesbog, in case you don't know about Whitesbog, is the home to Elizabeth White, who you see there. And she was the, uh, she with, um, uh, she was a non-scientist, but in, in conjunction with a scientist, she developed the first cultivated blueberry. So those blueberries you have in your muffins at home, thank Elizabeth White. Uh, and her, the, uh, her home is down in South Jersey. So the, I remember meeting the, the, the group from Whitesbog when we started our, our use of uh, steps and implementing it into the grant program. And they came uh, diligently, you're gonna see this in their reports, they came diligently to workshops and trainings that we offered. And you can see in just in these three snippets, snippets I'm gonna show you, kind of the trajectory of the impact that STEPS had on their particular organization. So here we are in 2013, and uh, they enrolled in one of our workshops, Capacity Building for Boards. Uh, and after that, they went home and they improved enrolling in the STEPS program at the very next board meeting. Uh, they then proceeded there to review their mission, vision, governance, and management strategy in light of the standards represented in STEPS. So that's phase one. Well, they kept coming to our workshops. So in this next snippet, you can see um, they, they got more members of their board to participate in our training workshops. 
um, and their executive director did some disaster training uh, and marketing. Their archivist and oral history, history chair went to another program, and four board members came and attended our STEPS workshop at Tuckerton, which was also on board building boards. So you can see they're really, they're moving through, they're marching ahead, and they're um, moving down that path uh, that STEPS lays out. But here, here's kind of the third, part three, and you can see at least one real accomplishment that came out of this, because by a, a year later, they fashioned a new mission statement and code of ethics, and they've adopted um, uh, revised bylaws uh, just about a year later. So here's a group that really uh, used the tools that, that STEPS provides, I think, to really institute some pretty significant institutional change. Now, as you could see from reading those little uh, snippets of, of testimonial from those two applicants that we have, um, we do provide ongoing uh, training support for, for STEPS, and that's through our workshop series called Best Practices. And we've covered the map really in terms of topics that they have addressed, everything from collections care to communications and evaluation. And, and we do those, we, every year we do some, and we try to rotate through the different um, topics in the STEPS manual uh, so that we can, uh, on an ongoing basis, provide some low-cost but high-quality support in terms of training in using these. Now... Um, before I leave that idea, I just want to uh, mention an important aspect of this, um, for me anyway. So um, steps, we, we have these workshops, as I mentioned, and, and our goal is we're just going to keep doing them, even though we've already done an interpretation workshop. You know, in a year or so, we'll be doing another one. We, we're, we're going to keep doing this, and I think it's terribly key, and I'll give you an example of why. Uh, in other words, pro professional standards can never be ignored. You can never put that on the shelf, move on, and think, think you've got it. Um, we have, I'm thinking of a particular couple of organizations who just applied for grants to us. So, you know, as a funder, we kind of have this unique window into what's going on uh, around our state. And in this case, these were two groups that had had very high-performing um, institutions in terms of professionalism and standards. And what had happened is they both had fallen on um, financial hard times in the last few years. They'd, had, uh, they'd lost full-time professional staff. They now were working with just part-time staff. They'd had changes in board <laughs> members. And it was just, and they had not continued the attention to professional standards that had been the hallmarks of their work prior to this point. And the end result was neither group got funded in this current grant round. It was not a happy time for any of us. Um, it wasn't happy for them. Certainly wasn't happy for us on the, as the, from the funder's perspective. We had to have some pretty uncomfortable conversations. But the point there that I'm trying to make for you is that these are topics that we as a funder are never going to just forget about. You have to be continuing um, your, your exploration and your, and your offers of support in these areas because staff changes and organizations change too. So a quick just look at, we have another County Cultural and Heritage Commission in our state who also has been implementing the STEPS program. As you can see here down there in Ocean County where they give out some of our money as re-grants, 
Um, they, they use this as a tremendous tool for, for growing their institutions. They also offer workshops. They provide the manual and enrollment to any history organization in the county that requests it, which I think is a, a terrific service. Um, and they require their applicants to report on what they're doing in steps when they apply to the re-grant. And when I had my conversation with them in preparing for this talk, because they're probably the most active county in New Jersey that's also using STEPS, we talked about some of the benefits we found of using the STEPS program um, within institutions. And one is that the program provides a vehicle for discussing the elephant in the room. You know, maybe everyone knows that that particular collection is housed in, in a space that is not properly climate controlled. That's the elephant in the room maybe, but it's really hard to confront it. Hey, within the context of, of working on your program, it provides you a structured way to sit down and address some of those difficult subjects. Um, another aspect of it, and you saw that in my example from Whitesbog, where they got the trustees and they got the volunteers, they got everybody involved in it, is that it is also a very effective way of communicating to the full range of stake stakeholders. That by golly, there is, there's a body of knowledge out there. There are things that we can all refer to um, to guide us in the work that we do. Um, it's not just the Wild West where it's whatever you think looks good at the moment. <laughs> And then, um, and then the other, um, other uh, uh, revelation that I think um, this Tim Hart and I from Ocean County agreed upon is that also, uh, STEPS also finds a very easy way for organizations to measure their progress against other organizations of similar size and shape. And we have tried, and I think we can do a better job, even of also fostering some, some um, communities of, of uh, exploration and mentoring between groups in New Jersey. Is that my last one? Oh, okay, and then finally, finally um, it's also a way to stimulate some very, very excellent and productive conversations that you might not have in any other context. You know, maybe it's not the elephant in the room, maybe it's, it's the vision that you didn't know that you all had, but by golly, once you started thinking about the problems maybe you have in the communications area, you're able to, to generate some, some new ideas that move you forward. So with that, because I know our time is limited, let's, let's go to Minnesota. All right, good afternoon. Uh, my name is David Grabitsky from the Minnesota Historical Society. And we, um, as an institution, have been around a long time as well and had a long time grant program um, as, as well. But unlike uh, New Jersey, we're a nonprofit and we're not invested with, uh, uh, I don't know, regulatory responsibilities and, and things like that. So requiring steps um, in our case was just not an option. And so uh, what I hope to leave you with today is our approach to hopefully um, getting more organizations involved in steps because we know it's it's good, um, and we know this because Minnesota was one of those states that piloted steps, and the six that have it, you saw a couple of my colleagues up on the screen when Sherry was showing um, the the steps portion at the beginning. 
uh, we know it's good, but for some reason, even though we have a grants program that is uh, set up uh, so that they can put their, the name of their organization in and drop in the, the application and get all the money to get steps, plus they can get more money to bring in a consultant to help them with steps, we just never saw any, uh, not enough applications. There, they were sparse and in between. And so we, we realized that we needed to do something pre-steps. Um, and, and so, uh, this is my colleague, uh, we'd go around <laughs> looking in lots of museums. Um, and so we realized what the situation is out there. Um, it, we also were at a, a crossroads for a couple of other things too, um, that that go uh, right behind it. Um, we just passed a few days ago the centennial of field services in Minnesota. For those of you not familiar with field services, it's a, something that was invented 120 years ago, and I often say it's the oldest public history profession that no one has ever heard of. Um, our whole goal is to build the capacity of local historical organizations across the state, and they're usually supported by a state agency or uh, some statewide entity. And we're in most states, and Field Services Alliance, lots of folks, uh, Scott and I are part of that group, and Sherry's been, and Megan here too, uh, to support us as well. Um, so that is one context that, that we had uh, this centennial coming up. We also, uh, um, in, in my role at the Minnesota Historical Society, one job I had at one point was running the grants program. And then uh, right before the grants program got a massive influx of funding, um, uh, I was hijacked essentially uh, from the field services role that I had been promoted to um, and I was taken back to the grants program. Um, I was told, um, well, we only need you to run it temporarily. I said, how temporary is temporary? And, and they said, oh, two, three months, something like that, we'll get a grants manager in. 62 months later, um, they did get a grants manager. And so we had to relaunch field services is what I'm trying to tell you. And, and so that, that was pretty much part of it. And with new staff like Todd and others, um, our team felt it was, the best thing to do was to go out um, and, and try to address a whole bunch of these problems all at the same time, one piece of which was we need to see more steps happening in Minnesota. We'd like to get steps groups. I'm always very envious of Scott's programs in, in Connecticut and want to get them started in Minnesota, but we just don't have the mass yet to do that. Um, and so what we did instead, um, the, what I passed out is, is two of the baselines that, that we um, collected. The third baseline is all about websites and evaluating those, and we set uh, up our criteria to dovetail into STEPS. It's, in fact, written on the same model as STEPS so that people can use the workbook approach and that kind of thing, um, uh, and evaluated their websites. But by Todd and I going out, we, we were able to have conversations um, about uh, needs without walking in and saying, well, you need to do this better. Um, we, we don't have that regulatory responsibility. We, we're based on relationship building. And, uh, um, and, and so what we said was, well, uh, we're here for two reasons. One, to introduce Todd, and um, two, to also uh, aggregate the um, baselines for the entire state. Um, so the, the first one we looked at was facilities. Um, this is uh, the Big Stone County Historical Society in Ortonville, Minnesota. Um, and uh, 
we, you can see all of the numbers there. Um, the, the numbers are percentages uh, for the most part. Um, percentages of yes, they have that. So, you know, open signs and, and uh, ADA treatments and, and so on. You can see all of those. We, we discovered some really interesting things, um, you, you know, about uh, our facilities across the state. The, the stereotypical view of uh, they're making do with a reused building, you know, some old courthouse or city hall or something like that. Uh, in general terms, it simply wasn't true. Um, almost 44% of all of the 87 county historical societies in Minnesota are using buildings that were built to be museums, which is just a staggering sea change um, in, in, in our thinking. Um, we were also able to, to look at um, uh, the, the light, temperature, humidity uh, levels in, in those buildings as well. And when we pulled out the you know the little tricorder the the light meter and ooh that's cool that's a little black box and you push the button and there's a number that comes up then uh, people would get excited about those things and and then begin asking the the important questions and we were able to then to use the steps manual um, and, and to to walk them through the standards of care and so on for their objects and and hopefully get them to realize that um, you know we need to be able to have better control over light better control over humidity, and, and so on. Um, the other numbers are there just for your, your, your reference on facilities. Um, as, as I mentioned, you know, lighting um, is, is our chief concern at most of these organizations. Um, light damage is cumulative and it's irreversible. <clears throat> Everybody thinks it's water is the, is the main thing to control. You know, want water overhead, well, which is true, but the, the thing about it is we, we can treat water damage in most cases. Light damage, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and so you can see the light readings here for visible light and, and, and UV. Um, and they're not great, but it gives us a baseline. And I think the, the thing to take away from just taking a look at these numbers with any kind of evaluation, you need to know where you're starting and how the evaluation is calibrated, okay? And, and so by looking at, at the numbers here, we can see, all right, this is where we're starting from in 2015. In 2020, we're gonna go back and we're gonna take a look again, and hopefully I'll be here in 2021, um, uh, walking you through, hey, we, we moved the needle in five years um, to a much better place, and we did it, and there are more STEPS programs in place, and there's better control. Storage um, was another uh, big issue that, that we looked at, um, and again, STEPS has plenty um, on, on that situation. This is actually fairly typical, and everybody was always apologetic about taking us into their storage. Oh, it's terrible, I'm sure you've, you've seen so much better, and this is the worst one you've ever seen. They're in boxes. That's, that's a great start. Um, so we were able to provide a lot of reassurance as well um, in that, in just saying, hey, we're just aggregating it, we're, we're marking things down, um, we're gonna put it all together, we're not gonna single anybody out, um, but you'll be able to compare it, uh, you know, later and decide for yourself if, if this is something you want to do. And then there were some results as well. Um, for collections, um, probably the biggest thing um, that, that we were looking at um, was something called culturally sensitive objects. Um, obviously, you know, one might think the jingle dress um, is, is one of those. Actually, it's, it's the, the host in the, in the upper right. Um, 
uh, we talked to all kinds of communities um, across the state. Um, and where the host comes in, and we found lots of other things that I really didn't feel comfortable throwing up here on the screen, but the, the host, um, we found out from the Roman Catholic tradition was, well, as long as it's not consecrated, it's okay. And, and I said, how can we tell? And they said, well, you tell me that it's not consecrated and I'll be okay. And, and so anyway, that's one of the conversations that we had with them. It, it could be things like the, having a Quran on exhibit is fine so long as it's closed was an example. Um, but we found you know, just lots and lots of instances of, of, uh, of uh, inappropriate advertising from the 19th century and, and um, all kinds of just amazing things. Uh, cheerleaders, controversial uh, when they're dressed in other cultures um, you know, from the 1950s and so on. But it gave us that opportunity to talk about that. And ethically, what, as a museum, is your responsibility, which dovetailed in quite nicely with steps. And we were able to pull out the book and, and, and be able to show them. Um, we also uh, took a look at governance, um, which is on the back side of that, the, that same sheet. Um, and it's really hard to evaluate someone's performance as a human being. So what we looked at it was the, the five core documents from uh, AAM and the three documents that are on the 990 from the Sarbanes-Oxley. And you can see the percentages of, you know, um, the, do they have them is on the far right uh, one. And not surprising, the mission statement and collections management policy, very high. Um, we have included both of those in our, our manuals um, for organizations that are starting uh, ever since the 1920s. And so it's probably no surprise to us that they're simply there. We have a long ways to go on the others, um, but you can see those um, for yourself. We also took a look at websites, um, and again, um, those are geared toward uh, the STEPS program. They're written in a, a STEPS style. Um, they're not in the program uh, yet, but um, you know, we promise to share those. Um, and again, the, those results um, uh, were, were surprising in the sense that some of the high-level things that <laughs> are kind of optional extras to get you by. We're almost always there. But some of the real basic um, uh, things that really make a website work, we're almost always not. <laughs> the, 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 the key tags and the, the H1, H2, H3s um, were, were pretty non-existent. And, uh, and, and so we have a long ways to go in getting websites up. So the, the functionality, ADA is, uh, another, was another big issue for screen readers and so on. There were a lot of uh, hot links that said click here. And people with screen readers, as the screen reader goes down the page, hits that hot link and it says link to click here. Well, the person who can't read that has no idea where you're clicking to. So you know the, the hot link needs to say, you know, if it's going to the bylaws, it should say organization bylaws. And then the screen reader will say link to organization bylaws. So those were things that, that we found in, in our project. The results, um, a little early to say, although um, I, I'm very pleased. Um, I think we had four uh, new requests for steps in, in our latest grant round. And I know of a few more that are planning on it for October. Um, and again, I hope in, in five years to return and be able to say, because we, we uh, went out and figured out what the, the baseline was for these three things, tied it into steps, that more steps programs were adopted, and more progress was made by each one of these organizations along the way.
All right, how are we all doing? All right, how many of you all are organizations that are participating in STEPS right now? All right, we've got one who I guess is my plant in the room, Michael Spellman from Groton Historical Society. Moral support for me, thank you. How many of you are considering doing steps at your organization? Okay, a few more. How many of you are in the wrong place? No. <laughs> so what I'm going to tell you now about over the next couple of slides is what we're doing in uh, Connecticut with steps. And I'm going to be talking more about the results that our organizations have been doing um, and talk to you for those organizations that are doing it or considering doing it, what you might want to do back in your own organizations in your own um, regions. Um, but to do that, I'm going to talk about the structure of what we've put in place in Connecticut, which we call STEPS CT. Um, and STEPS CT is a partnership between us at Connecticut Humanities, uh, we're the state's humanities council, uh, the Connecticut League of History Organizations, which is basically the state-based equivalent of AASLH. And when David was talking about field services, uh, our two organizations do field services stuff in Connecticut, uh, and Connecticut Historical Society, which is our statewide historical society, but uh, a 501c3, it's not funded like some of the Midwestern ones where they get a lot of state aid. Um, overall, and, and I'll come back to these points, um, we're going to talk about what we're doing in Connecticut, and we'll talk about some of the examples of what organizations are doing, but the things I want you to think about are our structure. We've put together a structure for a purpose, and you do not need to copy our structure, but putting together a structure I think is going to be helpful to you. We've put together a time frame. In many cases, it's an artificial time frame. But I think putting some sort of sense of time on yourselves is going to be helpful in this. Otherwise, you will, you will be timeless and you won't get to where you want to go. Um, finding ways to connect what you're doing with STEPS or with MAP or with whatever assessment program to your strategic planning efforts at your organization and your uh, work plans. Otherwise, you're going to be finding what you're doing with STEPS or MAP or any of the other assessment programs is in addition to what you're doing. And I think finding ways to connect the assessment stuff we're talking about to your longer plan or your shorter plan um, makes a lot of sense and will make people's lives easier. Um, and finding ways to collaborate, and we'll talk more about that. Doing things on your own is great if you can do it, um, I think, but finding other organizations to partner with, um, finding another voice to talk to in a confessional sort of way, if nothing else, uh, is, I think, a very helpful exercise and, and, and strength in numbers. So in Connecticut, you know, our program is based on uh, the, the STEPS program that Sherry told you about. Um, we've done it in 26-month segments. Again, it's an artificial timeline, but it's a way to say we're going to cover all of these units in basically four-month segments, and we take a two-month break between the first half and the second half of stuff. Everyone always says, man, I want more time for mission, vision, and governance. We, we could give you six months. We could make this a three-year program, but we're just going to be... We know you're not going to accomplish every last thing you want to do in those four-month segments or the 26 months. It's giving you a time frame to try to work towards some goals, knowing that you're going to still be doing this stuff long after the four-month segments or the 26-month program. Um, there is a cost to doing this. We'll talk more about that, but we're trying to make this as low cost to our organizations in Connecticut as possible. Uh, a little bit more about our organizations. Um, won't read a lot more here, but if you want to know more about any of the three partnerships, I can tell you about them. I think what I want to highlight here is the fact that we're doing this, again, as a partnership. So I encourage you to do it as a partnership. We're trying to find ways to work together more in Connecticut um, because you know, we can accomplish so much more together than as, as individuals. 
So our program basically has uh, three main components. Training, mentoring, and grant funding. And I'll talk about the training first. Um, I've been working at Connecticut Humanities now for eight years, and I've been doing field services work for that whole time. What I was finding early on is we would do these fabulous workshops. We get people really jazzed, half day, one day, maybe a longer workshop, and then everyone goes back to their daily lives. You've been away from the office for a half day, one day, multiple days. You have voicemails, you have emails, you have um, plumbing to do, your volunteers aren't manning the front desk. You're you have all these great things that you want to go and do, you're jazzed, and you don't have the ability to go back and do them because everything else takes priority. That's where we tried to put together that structure I was talking about and that artificial timeline to put this on the list of priorities, that you're not just getting that learning, but you're, you have to do some stuff. Um, we have mentoring in there as the second component. We know that you're going to have ideas. So you went to that workshop. You've gone through the workbook for steps, which has indicators in each section, and you can figure out where am I today, and you know where you're doing all right, and you know where you have some, some things you want to be doing, but how do I prioritize this? How do I prioritize this against the volunteer that's not showing up, the board members that have resigned, um, all of the other things that happen. So the mentors are there. We've given some hours of, of consultation time to help you prioritize things. And then some grant funding. Connecticut Humanities happens to be a grant funder, so that is a nice way to um, help organizations do things that they can't do time alone. Um, the training that we've put in place, we've put together some full days of workshops that happen at the beginning of units of those four-month blocks we've been talking about. Um, to get people's minds opened and kind of open up the worldview. We have open houses in months two and three of our four-month blocks to do some check-ins, figuring out what you've been doing in the interim, how we can reprioritize things. And again, even if you're doing this on your own, you're doing this with other organizations. Maybe you're going to partner with two organizations in your area, three orgs in your area. Get together on regular check-ins. Make that date on the calendar. It's, it's a physical date to get people together to say, oh, my God, I haven't done anything since we last met. That's an artificial way to get people to say, i got to do some stuff. Um, and we have now added for the, the, the second class of STEPS organizations, we've, we worked with um, uh, 24 organizations from 2012 through 13, and we're working with another 23 uh, from 2015 through 2016. Um, in the second go-around, we've added some half-day workshops to give even more training uh, to the organizations. The mentoring component, um, in addition to all of those workshop times where we're all together, uh, our groups get um, six hours of time for a dedicated mentor that's going to work with them from the beginning of the program through the end. Um, so 18 hours a year, 36 hours over two years. And you can see the names of our um, professionals there on the side. We tried to find people that are generalists in Connecticut that um, have good breadth of knowledge that aren't just curators or aren't just executive directors. Some of these people have retired and are still looking to stay active in the field. Um, others have had children and have tried to step back some of their time. Um, but all of them are very sensitive and aware of the needs of small organizations. Um, we tried to find the right mindset of the person here for our program in Connecticut. Um, and then we've got the grant funding, which we'll talk more about. Um, and our STEPS grants are just um, uh, available to our closed group of organizations. So this small historical society is not competing with the Mystic Seaports of Connecticut for access to grant funding, which makes them feel a little bit more at ease. Because in some cases, these are organizations that have never written a grant application before. So it's not just the money that they're going to get for the project they need, but it's an exercise that we do with them of how to help them become more confident um, grant writers at the same time. 
some of the requirements we have uh, based on our, our funding, which uh, still to today uh, comes from the state of Connecticut. These need to be either nonprofit organizations or town entities. Um, our training is available to anyone. So if you're an independent consultant, a for-profit organization, and we have a couple for-profit museums in Connecticut, they can come to our workshops. But to do the full program, you have to be a nonprofit or a town-based org. We've asked that organizations have two people um, dedicated to going through each of the units with us. Those people can change, but for each unit, we want to have two people. The first time around, we required one. And we realized in some cases that we were training an individual versus really getting organizational-based knowledge. And our goal is to get that knowledge in as many people's hands as the organization so it's not uh, one person dependent. Um, but these organizations can bring as many people as they want to open houses and uh, for some of the workshops that have limited seating, um, they can buy additional seats there. Uh, we do have some fees. This is to try to keep the program as, as low cost as possible, which was important. The first time around, Connecticut Humanities paid for everything, which was great for the organizations, but and a value proposition wasn't good to anyone, really. Um, the organizations didn't realize the value that they were putting in um, and, and receiving on the other end. Um, and to us at Connecticut Humanities, it became a little bit more expensive. The first go-round, it was about a $2,000 a year per organization program, so we're in the $40,000-plus range. The second go-round, we're about $800 an organization per unit, which for 23 organizations is pretty darn reasonable for a year's worth of, of training that you're getting monthly. Um, and we do require that organizations maintain their memberships in both AASLH and the Connecticut League of History organizations throughout the year. Um, this is uh, for both of our important partners here, um, that they're not just getting knowledge, but they're um, uh, helping out the organizations that are making this program possible. Um, so as I said, we've talked uh, and worked with 47 organizations from 2012 through 2016 through all of the different units we have. And now I'm going to talk about some of the results we've seen in Connecticut over that time. Um, I think the, the, the quote here from, from Dick at, at Harwinton Historical Society is still a great one. Um, you know, he's realizing this is an opportunity for them to grow. Um, this is an opportunity for them to figure out where we are today and where we want to go towards tomorrow. And whether you're using any of the assessment programs we've been talking about, I think that's a great way to use them, to figure out it's not telling us what we're doing wrong. It's telling us how we might want to improve going forward. Um, we funded a bunch of projects, and I'm not saying this to, to talk about all the wonderful things that our grant money has done, but these are the kind of things that you're going to find out you might need some added help for. And when you're doing the STEPS program, as Sherry said, you have a more compelling case to your funders when you start saying, I've done this stuff, we've done this stuff on our own, we've done this stuff with two other historical societies, we've, we've written our bylaws, we've revisited our mission statement, but man... Um, we need some help doing a board retreat because it's time to bring in someone to work with us and take us to that next step. Can you help us out with that, whether it's your local bank, your local humanities council? So these are a list of some of the things. And at Connecticut Humanities, we've tried to find what is the most important need for that organization at this time. It might be strategic planning. We get a lot of those requests. It could just be fireproof file cabinets. We had an organization that was traveling around the state um, when they were going to meetings, and the files for the institution were kept in boxes in the president at the time's car. And they were really worried because what happens if my car goes up in flames, all of our institutional records? So getting fireproof file cabinets at the historical society so those records were being safe kept on ground was a big um, relief for them and let them move on in several other areas that were important. 
some of the other grants. We've seen a lot of signage and wayfaring grants. Uh, for those first go-round of the program, um, we funded over $45,000 in grants. Um, our second crop of STEPS organizations, these are some of the projects we've done there. Again, a lot of wayfinding and site signage. These are some of the things that our groups are finding um, they just need some added dollars for, but they can really articulate that claim. You know, here's Cheshire Historical Society pictured there. They did some amazing things. They were going to put together a sign project. They were going to have us pay for the sign project. And just starting to talk about this with their local community, they found out that there were Eagle Scouts in Cheshire. That would help them as a service project to put together signs. So they didn't ask us for money for the signs. They asked us for money to have lighting go towards the signs so that the signs can be seen by cars passing by at light. So again, you're doing this work, you're going to have some unintended benefits as you're doing this. You will realize other community partners that you're going to be working with um, and ways to grow and change your ideas in ways that you hadn't thought of previously. Um, and we've had success in Connecticut with this model, the structure again that we put in place, the artificial timelines we've put in place, but again, groups working together. Um, as Sherry's talked about, we've, we're at the point now we've got 800-plus organizations that have done uh, STEPS, or at least enrolled in STEPS nationwide. Of those, only 51 are in Connecticut. 47 of those have worked with us in our STEPS CT program. Um, that's 6.4% of all of the organizations nationwide in, in, in Connecticut. Well, the last time I, I, I ran the numbers, and they've, they've gone up from here inevitably, um, there were 449 total certificates awarded. Of those, we had almost a third, basically, 150. So we've got a small percentage of the organizations, but by putting structure, artificial timeline, getting groups to work together to, towards common goals and push each other, uh, share, share things, um, we're finding the ability of organizations to do more. Um, I've got some cards up here. I'm also sharing my, my colleague, uh, Liz Shapiro, who's my partner in crime on this. Um, contact information as well. We'd be happy to talk to you about what we're doing in Connecticut. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is not the step CT program that we're, we're put in place, but it's that structure, that, that time frame, the collaboration. Um, Michael Spellman is, is in the back, as I said. He's from Groton um, Public Library. Um, we've been working with museums, historical societies, some libraries, a preservation organization. Um, I think that these kinds of, of, of frameworks benefit a lot of different organizations or, in Michael's case, a subset of an organization, uh, Groton Public Library, was expanding their local history room. And they wanted to think about, are we doing things the right way and lining ourselves up to the best success we can at that time? Um, so they're looking at it for a subset of a larger institution, which is another way you could use some of these uh, frameworks. So with that, I think I've actually finished up on where I'm supposed to be here on TimeWise. We've got 15 minutes left of time for you all to ask any questions that you want of any of us, and I'll turn it over to Sherry for that part of things. Thank you. Thanks, Scott, David, and Sarah. So you see three different states, three different scenarios, but of course you don't have to have a statewide organization um, to get you involved in steps in your own state. Um, we wanted to show you examples of how it can be used in, <clears throat> excuse me, in other ways, in addition to individual museums enrolling in the program and doing steps on their own. But what we have found, and we found this in the pilot project, and Scott knows as he just quoted those stats from you on how many certificates have been earned by organizations in Connecticut, 
We found in the pilot program that, that when organizations worked together, they liked that. They liked that camaraderie, that accountability, that motivation, keeping each other going. And you know, I talk a lot about um, when I go and work with small groups, there's so much value in people coming together at AASLH, at state association meetings, field service meetings, humanities council meetings that they have. When our local historical societies and museums are able to get together and network and share ideas, commiserate, there's so much value in that because how many of you feel isolated in your community? You're the only museum or site and you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of every day. And so there's so much value in coming together and that's what we're finding when there are communities of practice for steps. Not, ever, not everyone's going to find that in their state you may be on your own, but we do hope that you'll go back to your state and at least try to initiate the conversation with some of the statewide organizations and say, have you heard what's going on in Minnesota and New Jersey and Connecticut? Why don't you guys look into doing that here in whichever state? We need that kind of group. We need a steps group. We need it just a way for us to talk. And so we hope that you'll carry that message back and, and start suggesting to people in your state that it be done um, something like this, funding or even just an informal networking group. In Illinois, they have just an informal group that gets together. Um, it's gotten together a couple of times. There's no funding behind it, but they try and get the STEPS museums together at the state association meeting. So questions, comments? Has anyone heard of any STEPS groups within their state? Just ask what states are here. Oh, what states are here? Yes. Yeah, Let's hear that. Michigan. Michigan. <laughs> I know um, Lisa Brisson, she has talked about at some point she would like to have a steps group. Well, you and I have talked, and I'm Brian Vineski, um, oh, yeah. for the National Parks. Yes, yes. A partnership, National Historical Park. And, and so you're with a National Heritage Area. Actually, no. I'm no. With a, I'm at a National Historical Park. Okay, National Historical it's Park. It's very weird. It's not any, like anything else in the system. There's some that are close, like Lowell and New Bedford. That kind of so, but you are trying to get something together or thinking about doing it for your sites. Wonderful. Wonderful. We're being recorded. You need to speak into the... I will repeat myself and I'll put the microphone. Um, whether you are a service organization um, that is trying to talk to other organizations that you serve or you are an organization trying to talk to your board members, the STEPS program provides... Um, it's not Scott saying that this is what should be done or you saying that this is what should be done. This is the peers across the country who have come together and put together standards um, that are based on best practices. So when you find yourself in an area that you are maybe not meeting a standard, 
and you were surprised, it shouldn't be taken as a, oh my God, we're doing this wrong, but as a, what's going on here? Why is this the case? Um, you have someone else and a, a group of people that have said that, that this is the way it should be done and gives you an opportunity to revisit that area without, you know, you know, causing someone on your board said this is the way it should be done. It, it's, it kind of relieves interpersonal conflicts in many ways. All right. Can I ask where you're? Indiana. Indiana. Um, I I know there are um, there are a number of organizations in Indiana enrolled in it, and I will tell you that uh, here's another interesting creative thing. Um, Hamilton County Tourism, a couple of years ago, paid for I think nine organizations in that county to go through steps in preparation for the bicentennial of that county, and or the state's bicentennial. So there's there's lots of organizations out there. Um, Put, trying to put together steps groups. And, um, and also in Indiana, Indiana Historical Society, um, they uh, connected a lot of the workshops that they run to step standards. So they are running things that will help you achieve um, the different standards, and they roll them out on a, on a regular basis. So there's kind of a, a repeat cycle to, to their programs. Yeah, local history services at Indiana Historical Society. Uh, Tamara Hemmerline is the head of that. Uh, they've got a, a, one of the larger field service organizations in the country, actually. Um, so Tamara is here um, and several others from there, and uh, we'll try to connect you to there on the conference. How about you in the, the back, right? I'll put you on the spot. Wonderful, um, and you know Sherry and, and David and Sarah and I are around for the the conference. So you know, talk to us after the session. Find us somewhere else and pull our ears. And you know, you'll find people with various badges on throughout the conference as well that say Steps Program in blue, or there's a green ones that say you know bronze, silver, and gold level of of uh, uh, completion in the program. And find them and, and talk to them about the program as well. Those are new. are those new this year? No, they've been around. The, okay. Um, we have Michael from Groton Public Library. Who do we have in front of Michael? Well, wonderful. We're excited that the CAP program is getting ready to launch again here. So, yay. Um, we have Megan from Utah.
And obviously the geography of, of some of the states makes it more or less difficult to work in statewide groups. Connecticut, we're a pretty small state. You can drive across the state um, in about two hours, traffic depending. Um, Utah. <laughs> but again, you can find other organizations that are close proximity, maybe not your whole state to work with. So I do want to mention, Megan said uh, the Federation is meeting in Salt Lake City in November, and Megan and Scott and myself and Mary Yeager from Nebraska, we're going to be speaking to hopefully a lot of the state humanities program officers and directors um, at that conference, telling them about what we've been talking about here today. And hopefully some of them will go back to their states and perhaps... Sales pitch put some funding toward um, helping organizations enroll in steps. Maybe they don't have as much money as what Scott's organization has been able to do, but I can tell you like in Nebraska, um, Nebraska Humanities pays for an organization. That I think they choose um, 10 museums every two years or something like that to um, enroll in steps, and so they pay for it. And so even that's helpful for those organizations um, to give them a boost and get them started in the program. So we'll be talking at the Federation in November and hopefully encourage a little bit more participation from them. Can I ask where you're from? And Art, art museums can enroll in steps. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> we th don't turn anyone away. <laughs> this is what we found in Connecticut. I mean, it's, it's designed specifically for historical societies and history museums, but when you go through the mission, vision, and governance, the interpretation, um, having collections, which your collections are just different collections, um, all of the things are really applicable. Yeah. Um, in fact, what we like about steps in Connecticut, and, and, and I think was great, is that you know, MAP doesn't have the historic structures and landscapes component. But we are all stewards of a place, whether it is our own building, whether it's a historic building, whether we're renting space, and we need to be thinking about being the best stewards of that space, looking at our sustainability, thanks to Sarah and the work that she did in that, that unit there. So I think that these are all applicable. Doesn't matter what type of institution you are, you wanna be the best stewards in all of the different areas, and then there, there's really cross applicability. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Well, I'm Sarah. I'm right now from Hawaii, but I've been in Massachusetts. And Massachusetts is talking about whether or not they wanted to develop this program. And I think it's going to take them a while to create a collective group, but I think the things that I learned in there are all terrific. And I'm hopeful that they do because it really will help everybody. And as a grant writer, I tell my clients that don't touch the MAP program because it's great Wonderful. Um, with that, we're just at about the time mark here, so I want to be sensitive to all your needs. And I know some people want to go to receptions or, or go to the evening program, uh, but I want to thank you all for, for coming. And we'll be around to answer some questions, and there are business cards for each of us at the, the front desk here, too. So and thank you, everybody. I would like to thank Sarah and David and Scott for speaking today. Um, we appreciate you um, telling us about your programs and um, look forward to hearing more news in the future about what's going on. And thank you all for coming. Thank you very much.
And there are pink sheets for um, if you fill out the session evaluation, you can just leave them on the back chair. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my Then they report back to us mm -hmm. on how they're you have 